Welcome to the Fight for Grade Level Reading. Since it's our first time, let's start with a little background. My name is Brian Reese. I'm an editor at the Sarasota Herald Tribune, a newspaper in Sarasota, Florida. A couple of years ago, we entered into a relationship with the Patterson Foundation. Essentially, they were going to provide us a grant to support coverage of grade level reading related issues. We've been doing that for about two and a half years now and realized that there's another step we need to take beyond coverage of those issues in our community. We wanted to reach out and find out what solutions other people have found among the many, many communities across the country that are working on this issue. So, the podcast. What we're planning on doing every week is interviewing an expert, someone who's involved with a successful program related to grade-level reading issues, a researcher, a policy expert, an author, or even a funder. Today, we're going to kick things off with Ron Fairchild. He's the director of the Support Center at the National Campaign for Grade-Level Reading, which is designed to highlight the most successful programs implemented by the more than 390 different communities participating in the fight for grade-level reading. Ron, can you tell us a little bit about how the campaign got started? Back in 2010, there was a publication of a report um, called the Early Warning Report from the Annie Casey Foundation, the first time the research had really been assembled um, to explain the link between that critical third-grade reading milestone and future outcomes for kids and young people. Right. I mean, essentially the idea that the third-grade reading scores, I mean, it's just a host of future outcomes that really depend on that. Right. Well, it's one of the best predictors we have for future success in school and success in life. And it it just makes good common sense as well that, you know, you have to be able to learn to read in order to learn anything else. And so that reading is one of those foundational pivotal skills. And we know right now far too many young people are missing this critical milestone. um, And that is literally a catastrophe in the making for, for our country. So in the past, you know, eight years since that mm-hmm. report and since the campaign got started, like what, what has been the growth of the campaign? How, how has it moved forward? Well, we've been so excited and encouraged to see partners and stakeholders and all types of sectors across uh, communities like uh, being here in, in, um, in Sarasota, Manatee, and the Suncoast region. Um, everyone come together around the critical importance of this uh, milestone. And we we began an effort to mobilize a network um, back in 2012, um, and we launched the Grade Level Reading Communities Network with 124 communities. And uh, right now we have more than 390. Right. Um, so we've seen a tremendous amount of momentum and traction. Um, and I think one of the things that's been most impressive is to see um, folks feeling like rather than just talk about a problem, um, we can actually have uh, an enabling narrative that there's something we can actually do about this problem. Right. Um, and that when communities come together, they can actually make measurable progress against some of the most important and earliest predictors of whether or not kids are going to read successfully by the end of third grade. So what has been, like, in the past five years, especially, you know, when you started out with 124 communities, what has been the biggest success points for the national campaign? since then? So we think that mobilizing that kind of a movement Mm -hmm. um, to encourage communities to develop plans and to become places with plans to address third grade reading. And we know that to move the third grade reading milestone, you can't start in third grade. You have to begin early. 
Um, and we ha- now have coalitions and funders and communities working together um, and supporting a comprehensive set of strategies, practices, programs, all the way from prenatal birth through third grade um, to make sure that kids have the opportunities and supports that they need in the right sequence and the right dosage um, to make sure that kids um, get to that third grade reading milestone. It, it, what, I, what I find fascinating is that among in 390 communities, there's a whole lot of, it's such a complex, complex issue. There's mm-hmm. a whole lot of different strategies that different communities have uh, tackled, um, created programs around and worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that, how do other communities kind of learn from the communities that are doing things differently? One thing I'm really excited about at the campaign that we've just began rolling out this year is a new online learning system um, called the Learning for Impact and Improvement System. And what that system is designed to do is to really unleash the power of that network to say if a community has really um, cracked the code or figured out one component or one dimension of this problem, um, that another community can take that, download that resource and that material and apply it to their unique setting and context and, and put that together with a number of other puzzle pieces that, they've, that are assembling in their community so that together those strategies can be more coordinated and well in line. You know, for too, many, for too long, I think we've been, um, you know, experiencing the high cost of trial and error yeah, and starting from scratch when we don't need to. And so um, there are folks that have figured out a great example would be this strive for less than five attendance campaign that we were talking about today. That's an effort that has been developed and pioneered in one of our grade level reading communities. And that's migrating to other communities. Right. And that's, that's exciting and rewarding to see. And it's great when people can, can take something that's already been proven and tested and, and then be able to apply it. Because again, these are, this is a complex and complicated issue. And it, Sometimes, you know, we need a long time horizon to get to real um, gap closing on that third grade reading milestone between low income kids and their um, higher income peers. Um, But we can't wait 10 years for that gap closing to happen. We have to be able to show measurable progress on things like attendance. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some some real effective and proven strategies to help us get there. Yeah, it's almost like a shopping cart. People can go into this new system and kind of pick and choose the things that they think are most important for their community and, you know, use programs that have been proven successful elsewhere. And they'll be able to benchmark themselves against their own plans and their own baselines and what they've, what they aspire to in terms of progress, but also the progress that's being made in other communities across the country. So they can really see how they stack up Mm -hmm. um, and compare and then use that data and those stories from those other communities to strengthen and enhance their strategies. And every, it seems like every community that enacts, you know, kind of tries to replicate one of these successful programs uh, adds more information to other communities that want to replicate those programs. So it just kind of builds on itself. Well, we're trying to, as much as anything else, become kind of a knowledge enterprise where right. people can, can really learn a learning enterprise. It's very dynamic and that each person Um, while their work is critically important within their own community, feels this sense that they are part of a larger movement and a larger network, that they have something both to contribute to it, something to give, but then also something that they can draw down and get from being part of that network. And so that kind of dynamic where 
everyone across the country, common set of indicators and a milestone that they're laser focused on mm-hmm. um, that's staking the ground, the critical importance of, of reading success by the end of third grade. And then by having that kind of common and shared um, and joint accountability around that milestone, then we can allow and, and encourage communities, we can encourage communities to do what they do best, which is innovate, figure out what the right mix and combination of mm-hmm. strategies and practices, because it's not about one single program. There's, yeah. no, there's no magic program out there that you can take and apply in a particular um, community and then all the problem is solved, and, and that's, that's the one thing that you need to do. It's the combination. It's the mix. It's the, it's the sequencing of those things so that the same kids who are getting support, zero to three, whose parents feel successful in the roles that they play, also have access to high-quality pre-K, also are going to get access to a, a dynamic summer experience between pre-K and K. They're going to go into schools where there's a commitment to – high-quality teaching and learning and instruction going on where they get after-school and summer programs that, are ex- that extend the learning opportunities and really connect to the literacy experiences that they need and that they're, they're there every day in school. Right. And that the kids who need more intensive tutoring and support, they get that. So it really is about this kind of tapestry or mosaic that communities are assembling, and that work can't all be done within individual communities. It's just not efficient Mm -hmm. um, for every community to feel like they have to figure that stuff out on their own. Yeah, I mean, they're not alone. They're not alone. They're not alone. So for the past six years, it seems like growth has been kind of the focus of the national campaign, getting more people on board and also increasing the knowledge base because of that. I should say something about growth specifically because we never set out we never set out to even have 124 communities. <laughs> Our goal initially was to get about 50 communities interested, and right. I well remember those early days, to get about 50 communities interested and about two dozen, so roughly 24 or so, out of the 50, so roughly half, to file plans and to begin work on this. <laughs> and uh, we were pretty excited initially when we started to get those letters of in- intent and, and interest rolling in. and. Um, and then it quickly became rather terrifying to think about um, the scale and the magnitude of this. And so similarly, we've kept the network open um, over the last five, six years, but we haven't had an intentional recruitment strategy. Um, We have really tried to be be demand-driven, keep the network open and say, if communities meet um, uh, three criteria – um, then we welcome them with open arms and think that the more communities we can learn from and with, the better. And it's just a constant challenge then to figure out what are the best ways to support communities under those circumstances. But the three criteria are that communities um, have a broad cross-sector coalition assembled. So the civic infrastructure of a community represented there, so philanthropy, nonprofits, education, um, school districts, um, early early childhood providers, not you know um, government agencies, a number of different partners at the table, the business community. Um, so they have that broad cross sector coalition. Um, they develop a plan, a community sure. solutions action plan, um, and then they have engaged their local funders um, to support the implementation of the of that effort. And so when those three um, conditions and 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 criteria are met. 
um, we see that communities can be successful in doing this work and actually get a coalition um, and a plan and a group of funders together to support it that has real chance of success and mm-hmm. also real staying power because so many of these efforts, for them to work, it requires, it requires time and, and really a durable commitment. I mean, that's one thing that I find very interesting because a lot of funders, and there's been some recent studies and papers written about this, a lot of funders, they really want to see return on their investment within three to five years. And it seems almost like the campaign for grade level reading, it's a generational thing almost. It's a 10 to 20 year process to kind of move the move the needle. Yeah, well, what we say is the third grade reading milestone is a lagging indicator. And lagging indicators take a long time to move. Yeah. And sometimes what happens is people don't have enough momentum and focus on lagging indicators to stay the course and double down long enough to really show measurable progress and gap closing on a lagging indicator. That being said, we can't wait 10 years <laughs> to see any kind of results. So then what becomes you know, important to all of us is to say, well, let's back up from that lagging indicator. What are the leading indicators? Mm. What are the leading indicators that would give us confidence and some assurance that we stand a reasonable chance of, of making, making a real difference on a lagging indicator? So what we did was talk about school readiness. Mm-hmm. Well, do we have an assessment that would give us some indication of whether or not a child is ready for kindergarten? And then what happens on that assessment over time at a population level in a community? Our kids, incre- is the rate of readiness, of, of school readiness, of kindergarten readiness, is that improving? We know that the amount of time that kids spend in class, classroom instruction, is critical. And for far too many low-income kids, they're missing too much school. So could we focus on a leading indicator right. of chronic absence to say, what's the percentage of kids who miss 18 or more days of school in the district in kindergarten, first, second, third grade? And surely, if we can show that fewer kids are missing that much school, that would be a good leading indicator to know whether or not they're um, going to be successful on the third grade reading milestone. And those are things that lend themselves well to the, the two to three year time frame and to be able to show movement and real traction right. and momentum enough to hold people at the table, continue investments and sustain the hard work and the moment, momentum that it takes to have a reasonable shot at the lagging measure. Well, and you know, one thing that I think people should always remember as well is that Although changing the rate of, P- of kids reading at grade level by third grade is the ultimate goal, like increasing that dramatically, uh, all of these programs in and of themselves also have their benefits beyond even how they increase that score in the long run. Correct. I mean, there's all these different programs. They're helping kids and help making their lives better. That's right. You know, even individually. before you can get to that. Yes, individually and then collect- and collectively what by pointing their efforts and coordinating their efforts, they can have an even bigger impact. Right. So you can, you can have isolate and make sure that those individual programs are doing what they need to do, but then also aggregate um, those things into something that would have a much larger and broader impact. The other thing that I would say, what I experienced today, we have an example here in the Suncoast region with four counties working together mm. in a coordinated fashion on a 10-year 
big effort to improve third grade reading proficiency. I have to think that the amount of effort and the relationships that are built around this milestone, third grade reading, that has to translate into a new way of working right. more collaboratively um, and a more data-driven approach, a more results orientation that crosses the traditional boundaries that we sometimes divide ourselves with. Um, I have to think that that bodes well for the future, not just of kids reading on third grade uh, and reading proficiently by the end of third grade, but graduating from high school, mm -hmm. being successful in the workforce, all of those things that we care so much about, about the future of our country. I just think that the, the way that folks are working together and the kind of partnerships and relationships that I heard described earlier today, that's, that, that's, that has a, a huge benefit and value. Of course. Well, besides the Learning Network, which is mm -hmm. really kicking off, um, what are the biggest priorities for the national campaign over the next five years or so? Yeah, so there are three things that we have really um, laid out as something that we think are really critical for the stage that we're at mm -hmm. in the development of the, of the campaign. I think at, at this stage of, of development, we've, we have proof points across the country, places we can point to that have moved the needle. Mm -hmm. The challenge now is to go from moving the needle on a relatively small scale in some of these individual indicators to really closing the gap um, in grade level reading proficiency. And to do that, we think we need to stay the course and go deeper on these three solution areas of school readiness, school attendance, um, summer and after school learning, um, and this overall focus on third grade reading. So we're helping people go deeper, getting to larger scale mm -hmm. um, impact on a on a county-wide or multi-county basis. Um, we think that there's a set of strategies that attends to things like parents um, and helping parents be successful, making sure that we're addressing the health determinants of early school success and uh, eliminating or lowering some of those barriers um, that exist in the health domain um, for, for whether and why kids are, are gonna be able to, to read successfully. And then really helping communities um, get together to um, to lower some of the barriers to game-changing impact that we know continue to exist um, where data sharing is a challenge and mm -hmm. difficult and um, some of the obstacles um, around funding and s getting to more sustainable scale and statewide kinds of, of, sure. of, of movement and momentum. So I guess the sort of the way I would describe it is really getting to um, larger scale impact, um, game-changing impact, and then um, more sustainable scale um, in these efforts. Because you know, as, as important and as critical as the initial successes have been, we know that there's so much more work to do mm -hmm. um, and a lot more help that communities need um, if we're going to, when we're going to um, close that larger gap around third grade reading. So almost more like um, in taking these individual programs and efforts that communities are making and turning them more into systemic change in their Sist communities. Systemic change and really understanding and unpacking what are the conditions of success. Right. So what's working, where, why, under what conditions, helping understand that, and then really assembling what that takes um, to really drive toward bigger and better outcomes that are larger scale at the community level, but then also 
on how do we get the policy environment and infrastructure in place um, to support um, the kind of larger scale systemic effort that you that you were talking about. Is the national campaign involved in policy efforts at all? We are very connected with partners and connected with a number of uh, policymakers and 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 folks around um, that issue. So yes, we're very much um, connected um, and have a number of a uh, number of partners and supporters who are who are focused on that. Gotcha. So, what does a campaign? What is a local campaign in a county? Um, what do they expect from you guys over the next five to ten years? Like, what do they? What do you think they want from you? What I hear so often is um, they expect support and an, an understanding and listening to what they need. And then they expect us to keep an ear to the ground and our head on a swivel to see sure. what's happening across the country and what might be able to, um, to be applied and utilized um, in individual communities. Um, they expect us to serve as kind of a hub and a connector mm-hmm. um, so that if we're in one community and we know that there are three others similar to it, that we can connect those folks and make sure that they can learn from and with each other. Gotcha. Um, I think they also expect um, us to be a broker and to help introduce them to other national partners, policymakers, people who are in roles similar to theirs mm-hmm. in other states and in other communities um, so that so that superintendents can talk to other superintendents across the state and across the country who are doing similar kinds of work. Um, and I think they ex- expect us um, to provide a little recognition and to honor and to lift up um, the great work that's happening across the country. And, uh, you know, my, my hope and aspiration is that we can, um, through this learning system and through other things that we're, that we're building and creating, is to really um, unlock some of the... Um, you know, some of the things that, that you know, I, I say sometimes that success covers its tracks. <laughs> and so we've got to figure out how, um, how to really unpack some of that and reveal the story behind the story and what has actually, what actually led to these positive changes in communities and really unlock that. Because there's no, for a good, a good example, is there's no conventional database that you can go to um, and look at all the local program evaluations that people have done on sure. individual programs across the country. Um, we want to be able to provide a resource like that so that people can, t- can say, well, what did they learn from the implementation of Reading Partners or Dolly Parton Imagination Library or Reach Out and Read and all of these other places? How do we connect those things so that it's not just one isolated program, but what's the, what's the compound effect, compounding effect of those three, four, five, six things that communities can stack and bundle together mm-hmm. that would actually show some likelihood of succeeding on this bigger me- measure of third grade reading. I mean, it almost when I got involved in grade level reading efforts from the media perspective, it was daunting because it is incredibly complex. Like mm-hmm. the sheer number of different things that you might need to do to increase third grade reading scores and to have a big impact on these kids' lives is truly kind of astounding and complex. And it's a web of interconnected stuff that you just can't escape from. And it seems like it's almost like this learning network simplifies it in some respects. I mean, every community has to do, has to see what their own needs are. That's right. And what can they can implement with their community partners. But it seems like it's more of a 
It's making it easier. Instead of having an infinite number of things, there is a focus on some things that have been proven successful. And people are working very hard and, you know, and, and they don't have a lot of time to go online and try to sort through a bunch of stuff and try to figure it out on their own. And I think it's incumbent on all of us is to figure out what, what information people need and how best to get it to them and to do that efficiently. You know what I w- will say about policy and about campaign, one thing that we have been so encouraged by um, across the country is how broad and bipartisan um, the support is for the third grade reading campaign. We have just as many Republican governors, if not more, than as Democrat, Democratic governors supporting statewide campaigns. Um, we have local um, policymakers, regional, statewide, um, national policy leaders who are really um, increasingly um, focused on this third grade reading milestone. And that's coming from a variety of departments and agencies. And um, that's really encouraging. I think, you know, today I spent a lot of time with folks at the housing authority here in Sarasota, and they're an incredible example of really leading the way and thinking about how we bring learning home um, for more kids. Um, and we know that kids who aren't meeting the third grade reading milestone are overrepresented in public housing. And that's the kind of partnership and relationship that uh, I think really um, bodes well for efforts like this. Doesn't matter who you are. Everyone wants their kids and their kids in their community to succeed. Absolutely. It makes it better for everyone. It's critical. Yeah. Thank you very much, Ron Fairchild from the National Campaign for Grade Level Reading. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Next week, we'll be talking to Dr. Depesh Navsaria about Reach Out and Read, a program that works with doctors and clinics to impact almost 5 million children across the country. In the meantime, we want to hear from you about your experiences in the fight for grade-level reading. You can email us at fightforglr at heraldtribune.com, connect on Facebook at facebook.com slash fightforglr, or you can call us at 941-361-4820 and leave us a message. We plan on playing some of those messages on future podcasts. Now, a final thought. A recent study in the journal Pediatrics called The Power of Play shows the many positive benefits of play, from physical to academic, but especially as a buffer for toxic stress. Dr. Andrew Garner, one of the co-authors of the report, told us, When children are playing, they're learning executive function and building foundational skills for resilience, allowing them to respond to adversity in a healthy way. There's nothing wrong with strong emotions. It's what you do with them. We want to use play to build healthy adaptations to stress. So here's your homework. If you work with kids, take a look and make sure that there's room for play in whatever programs you have. And try to fit a little play into your own life this week. Talk to you next week. And keep up the fight. 